Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. It's a live stream with Ian Burrell, the rum ambassador. Uh, he started Rumfest in 2007, which is insane. We're going to get into Rumfest a little bit today. Uh, 2014, Guinness World Record for the largest rum tasting. 2018, International Brand Ambassador of the Year from Tales of the Cocktail. And finally, 2020, this year, kicked off his own uh, rum brand, Equiano. And so... Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Burrell. Hey, how you doing, sir? Good, sir. Long time. It has been a long time, and it was very interesting because uh, Lisbon Bar Show, I was still pretty new to this podcast thing at Lisbon Bar Show, so I was still sort of finding my, my legs, and that's the thing. I just passed uh, my 200th episode for the podcast. Um, wow, con- yeah. congrats. Thank you. That's like 200 more than I've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, luckily enough got Dale DeGroff as my 200th episode, which is a, a huge was a huge milestone for me. Um, and yeah. now it's like, okay, we're into season three now. Like, let's start getting towards number 300 episode. Um, so I'm going to link the original podcast into uh, the description so people can go sort of back. But what what's the br- brief origin story of Ian Burrell and sort of how you sort of came to be as as the rum ambassador? Because I think people have to understand like you are the rum ambassador, the international rum, world rum ambassador, but you don't technically work until recently. You don't technically work for a brand. You're a rum and you're an ambassador without a, technically a brand. You do a whole spirit category, which I don't think there's a lot of people out there that do have that sort of, that sort of title. Like you're a whole category ambassador. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I, I've only, I've only worked literally for one brand in my life. And that was a, uh, being a Jamaican, um, when Ray and Nephew and Appleton was launched in the UK in, in the mid-90s, I just happened by chance to come across and work uh, meet up uh, the, the general manager of the company. And they felt that it was a good idea to actually hire a bartender to talk to other bartenders about their rum. I was like, wow, that's a really good idea because <laughs> within the industry, brand ambassadors were all marketing people, had no idea what it was like actually be uh, buying the sticks so um so yeah so i was the first i was made the first rum ambassador in the uk a few years later um 1995 but it was only like seven years later after um really learning about history um as a being a bartender but also going into other bars and talking about appleton rum it's only when i um, was asked to help launch appleton in new zealand and in australia um that's when i realized that i really wanted to be someone traveled around the world and spoke about the category of rum so uh so if it wasn't for it wasn't for my trip down in back in 2003 down to new zealand and in 2004 down to australia i probably would never have been a rum ambassador because <laughs> uh when i came back from that trip i was like this is what i want to do <laughs> and and the thing is 2003 like i think i remind a lot of the youngsters out there um like this is before the internet like there would have been like some very yeah very, very rudimentary AOL style, like, uh, forums online. Right. Where you talk yeah. about it, but like yeah. it, it, bartenders in this day and age really are sports a little bit. The fact that they can literally go on their smartphone and go click, 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 click. What is Jamaican rum? And you get pages and pages and articles and back then. And there was no books really either. Cause there were no rum experts. So you couldn't go to the local yeah. library or the bookstore and pick up a book on rum either. Like it just didn't exist. Yeah, it didn't exist. And how I had to learn was I had to take myself, I had to leave my job behind a bar, leave working with Appleton and travel around the Caribbean on my own dime, 
going to distilleries, learning about rum. Um, and I'd go to the distilleries, whether it would be Jamaica, Ada, Antigua. I got, they thought I was crazy. Like, why do you want to come and talk about rum, learn about rum? We just drink it. And I was like, no, there are rums that people like to sip like a brandy or whiskey. And they're like, no, 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 no. So I was even getting pushback from the, the rum guys that made the rums because they were just used to making local rums. And all the rums that we were seeing in Europe, they never saw because it just went abroad. It was aged abroad and it was sold in small quantities. But I, I, I believe that the, that rum really had a, a premium, uh, a, a level of premium that needed to be spoken about. And, and working with Appleton really opened my eyes to that. Um, and that was, that's, as I said, that's all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was tell people about the rum category and how can I get paid <laughs> to do that? Um, because that was going to be my job for, from now to the future. So uh, as Confucius says, if you can find a job, if, if, if you can find a job that was for lines of your passion, you never have to do a day's work. So um, I don't feel I'm working. <laughs> so, like, again, like if the rum, the rum brands are sort of pushing back, the distillery guys are like, well, what are you, what are you even talking about, man? Premium rum? There's no such thing as premium yeah. rum. Again, premium rum as a category is, only, is less than 20 years old. Like as a, as yeah. a category is, is not a thing. Well, it's, it's, we say this, it's, it's less than 20 years old as in to be accepted in, mm. say, in the US and in uh, Europe and places like that. There's always been premium rum. There's always been rums that have been sold at a premium, whether they were made in certain types of quantities, made, whether they were packaged to look. I mean, Appleton were one of the first, um, and this is back in the in the 60s and 70s, they, they used to put things on their label like uh, premium age rums, tropically aged. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mm-hmm. A lot of rums actually by accident became premium only because they were sitting in cast because they couldn't sell them. So when Don de Beachcomber back in 1930 started pushing and promoting really extensively, the reason why these rums were so old because they couldn't be sold into America because of prohibition. So they were sitting in cast as old. By the time Don de Beachcomber got them, and the regular five-year-old rum he would have bought was now 15, 17 years old. And hey, the rest is history. Um, but yeah, so premium rums have always been there. They've just never been marketed um, to the general public. So that was 2003. <laughs> where, where, do we take, where do we go from 2003 to 2007? Wow. So between 2003 and 2007, this is where, I started um, having that vision of, of um, being that person to talk about rum, uh, doing seminars, masterclass, tastings, working with various different brands. Try not to be try not to be associated with one brand, but being associated with a category. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I took all my savings back in 2007 and created the world's first uh, international rum festival. Um, and I was flattered. Uh, recently when uh, Richard Seal from Foursquare Distillery uh, did a presentation about mo- the moments in the history of rum that has really changed the business. And he highlighted 2007 Rum Fest in London that Ian Brill put on as one of the defining moments in rum. And I was, I was in tears when he, when he came out wow. of that because I was like, wow. Because wow. <laughs> I just saw it as me spending all my savings and not being able to buy a house or a property or putting a deposit on the property doing some crazy idea of doing a rum festival and lots of people saying that will never work. What are you doing? But hey, close your ears to those doubters and those haters and uh, you'll be able to persevere. And this year we celebrated our 14th year. 
of Rumfest. So, uh, and there are rum festivals all over the world that I'd influence. So, um, yeah, so it's a good thing I didn't listen to those guys. And uh, but yeah, that that's where it, that's where it really started off. 2007, the very first uh, US, UK uh, Rumfest. What, what was the push? What was the entrepreneurial drive to to sort of start something like this? Again, we we keep going back because I think. Even today, there's a lot of businesses, a lot of ideas that people are like, oh, is this going to work? Like, what, what's the driving yeah. force that where you're like, nope, I know this is going to be good. I know this is going to pan out. Um, I know that I'm going to make this work as <laughs> best I can. When, like, again, we go back to like, not just personal in your little bubble doubters, but like distilleries. Like, the distilleries go, what are you doing, man? Like, yeah. No one wants to drink our rum and sip it out of like an ISO glass. No one wants to sip it out of an ISO glass and talk about the the, the terroir of Jamaica or the terroir of an, a Caribbean. Um, what was the driving force behind you knowing that this was going to? Did you know it was going to work out, or was it still like ninety percent yes, I can do this, ten percent oh shit, I've made a horrible error of choices. <laughs> I never believed it was error choices, but you always have that doubt. Is it going to work? Are people going to see the same thing that you see? Uh, because everyone sees things in, in a different way. But when you see these other spirits out there, you saw you, you see whiskies from all over. And, and most people in Europe, when they default to whiskey, they default to scotch. America is different. They default to uh, bourbons and rice. Of course, in Canada, they default into their own style of whiskey. <laughs> the Americans like, that's not real whiskey, but it's still whiskey. <laughs> um, but I would say, well, why can't that happen for rum? Because I love Jamaican rums. But I'd constantly be arguing with people from Barbados about their rums. They're like, no, Barbados rum is the best. And I'd be like, no, Jamaican rum is the best. And then you have someone from Puerto Rico come in there and say, no, no, hombre, Puerto Rican rum is the best. And your rum has got too much funk inside there and this. And I'm like, you got a Puerto Rican, you got a Jamaican, you got a Barbadian arguing about rum. I'm like, well, wait a minute. They're doing the same thing in whiskey. You have an American basically saying bourbon is the best. And then you've got a Scottish person saying scotch is the best. And Irish whiskey, which is one of my favorites, um, basically saying they're the best. I'm like, well, why is rum not seen in that type of light? And when I started seeing people drinking and sampling and tasting rums and then saying, which was for me, one of my favorite phrases, which this doesn't taste like rum. <laughs> this tastes too good. I knew I had to create a platform or a way to get more and more people doing the same thing. Rums and saying, this doesn't taste like rum. This tastes too good. Because once they do that, that's a new rum person to add. And the only way to do that was to get liquid and uh, doing it in a festival like the wine guys do, like the beer guys do. And like a lot of the whiskey events I saw, like Whiskey Lives back in the early 2000s, evolving and popping around. So even though I knew it was going to be a risk uh, because it hadn't been done before, I was confident that it was going to succeed. So fast forward to the important. Uh, what was your big changes uh, to this year? Fast forward yeah. to this year. So like with, with COVID, everything's got like we're, we're doing a live stream right now, Zooms and all this different sort of stuff. Um, obviously, you adapted because you still did run fest this year, right? It still went ahead. Yeah. yeah. We did. We did. We didn't do it in the same way as we normally do with like thousands of people walking around an exhibition hall, tasting and sampling rums. We did an online event where you got to taste and sample rums at home. We sent the rums to your house. You got to sample and taste the rums there. But part of the uh, uh, one of the most important things about Rumfest that I feel is education. Um, education will will alleviate all forms of ignorance in all forms of life. Um, 
So in regards to rum, if you're being educated about the rum category, you could make what's called then informed opinions about what you're drinking or what you don't want to drink. Um, so we continue doing the masterclasses that we'd normally do at Rome Fest, but online. Because we're allowed in the UK, we're allowed to actually uh, be in bars. We were able to have some people in the bars doing the masterclass and tasting live. And then we film and stream that live online as well. So you could join in online. You could come to London or come to the, the bar and be, be part of that process there. You could products uh, and do the tasting at home. Uh, so any way you wanted to be involved in, in, in Rumfest, you, you could, in this new in this new world, you was able to be a part of it. And we had speakers from all over the world, like Spence from Appleton. Uh, we had Miguel, um, wrestler of Mount uh, Gay. Uh, we we had uh, Loic Loic, um, who is the uh, the he's a cellar master of his distillery in Mauritius. Uh, he was on the call doing masterclasses and talks and seminars. Speaking of African rum, as you as you introduced to, so it was his first seminar online, uh, and he did rum fest. So it was a nice way to integrate the the, the new the new norm uh, with a little bit of getting people together, all drinking and sipping rum together. Because the, the guys that actually came to the actual event, and if we only allowed like it was a bar that could hold sixty people comfortably. We only allowed twenty people, so we mm-hmm. could socially distance. Mm-hmm. But those twenty people that came. And sat down and sampled and taste rums. They were so appreciative. They said, "You know what? We've been wanting to sit down in the bar and have a drink and talk about rum with fellow rum people for the last seven, eight months. And now we can do it." So it was, it was, it was brilliant, brilliant actually doing it, especially in this. So going digital, did you have a? Um, did you have a bigger reach? Uh, were there people that would normally not make that that trek to London? for the, the rum fest actually like go, you know what, if I can do it online, get this stuff sent to me, still enjoy seminars and, and events and stuff and taste rum. So do you think you reach oh, yeah. digital? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. We had people from, um, from yeah, Canada, USA, uh, Australia, um, Africa, uh, all over Europe that actually tuned in to the actual show live. Uh, and then we haven't actually released the videos from um, the presentation of masterclass we're saving to January so we can slowly in to try to build up the momentum and the love for Rumfest 2021. But um, yeah, we have people from all over the world um, tuning in just to listen to the talks. Uh, they may have had some of the rums in front of them. They may not have. They may have just bought a- another rum, but it was a, it was a nice way to actually um, spread the brand, talk about the brand and also spread the rum love as well. Um, but yeah, we had a lot, a lot more people from a diverse and inter- international background that we'd normally just because we are digital we were digital so with uh did you make the change like you would have how rumfest was going to go be digital as well as launching and you and you launched a rum brand your new rum brand during covid during covid like um equiano uh you released that during covid like how was that Obviously, we we've talked about it. Like I've talked to a lot of marketing companies and stuff about like usually marketing companies are thinking two to five years ahead, and we're literally like thinking yeah. three to six months. And you've got like all yeah. the marketing heads are just twitching because they're like, I can't plan further than six months. Obviously, it wasn't the plan to launch during COVID, but um, sure. about sort of the I think we you briefly mentioned and you were very cagey about it when we were talking in in Lisbon last year at the at the Lisbon Bar Show. Yeah. You were pretty right, still yeah, right. in May 2019. Um, what was yeah. the, the thought process and 
what was the driver behind this? Because we talked offline that I've never tasted um, African rum before. Just doesn't make its way to Canada. Very rarely yeah. makes its way to Australia from where, like, and even in Australia, I left before rum culture really became anything in 2006. Um, yeah. What was the, the thought process? I love the name. I love the story behind it. And I think that's a, a huge part of the brand. Um, mm. What was the thought process by taking a fantastic African rum, blending it mm. with a fantastic Caribbean rum, and then launching your own brand when Rumfest has obviously got put in your lap pretty hard this year too. And it's a big, a big thing traveling around talking about rum brands and stuff. Now you have your own. What was the thought process and the the driver behind all that? Well, I mean, we're, I mean, yeah, you're right. We, we alluded to it back in uh, Lisbon, which was 2000, back in 2019. And that's where you started seeding the ideas of how we wanted to actually launch uh, this new rum and this new style of rum. Um, we officially did a soft launch at Rumfest uh, last year in uh, October 2019. And then our plan was January 2020. We're going to do a, a bigger, bigger press launch in the UK and then eventually move into the US around April, about three months time. Uh, we actually did some tastings at the uh, Miami Rum Congress, which I, which I, I, I co-own. Um, and we did that in February this year. It seems so long ago. February this year in, in Miami. So we did some tastings there and made a lot of fans. But then all of a sudden, this pandemic happened. <laughs> and we were like, oh, no, what do we do? So we were just basically just putting the brakes. We were going to put the brakes on. Uh, we knew we had all this product. We knew we had a, a great a, a great a great story, a great packaging. But then all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, people started basically going online and doing research, doing the work. They were going around and looking at, uh, they were drinking at home, they were drinking off premises. Um, they were looking for new brands and good brands. Rum's got a lot of love. Um, you mentioned the name, uh, Equiano, which was named after uh, a freedom fighter, an abolitionist called Alauder Equiano, who was enslaved in Africa, sent to Barbados. And then from Barbados, he went to Virginia in the States. And from Virginia, he went to the UK. When I when we created the brand, we wanted the rum to make that same journey. A rum from Africa, it goes to Barbados where it's blended and bottled at Foursquare. It then makes its way to the US and makes its way to the UK. So that was a journey we were going to make. And we made that journey before the pandemic, before uh, everything happened in America where um, issues, uh, political issues, certain issues really drove people's minds to actually say, wow, we need to look at the world in a different way. And one of the conversations that was happening around the world, especially in the UK, was Alauda Requiano because of what he did as an abolitionist, as a person who wrote a book about being enslaved. It was a nine-time bestseller. People were saying we need to be building statues of him if we're going to be taking down other statues. And that's who we dedicated our rum to. So it just it was just a coincidence. It was a coincidence, but it was a story that I wanted to tell before the world really echoed that. Um, so we were in the right place at the right time in regards to that. And because of that, people started buying it like it was going out of fashion. <laughs> people were buying the rums or ordering the rums. It was like, wow, I know we were trying to slow down, but we uh, we actually sold three times more than we actually, um, or we sold so far three times more than we actually budgeted for um, before the pandemic. Because not only did people buy the product because it piqued their interest because of the name, because of how it was made, where it was made, who made it. But the most important thing, which I feel, is they drank the liquid and they came back for more. It tasted good as well. 
And when you got someone like Richard Seal from uh, Foursquare blending your master blender, blending the rums, uh, then you got a good shot of making. You got a good <laughs> having a good liquid. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that helps in a big way. So it was. It wasn't on purpose. It wasn't designed to launch at this particular time. It just happened organically, um, and it's going. It's going incredibly well. And uh, we've had a lot of love uh, with people drying, sampling, and tasting this rum, um, which is the first rum that I know of. Uh, that is a blend of rums from the African continent and the Caribbean region, which is why we call it an African Caribbean uh, rum. So it's uh, a <laughs> rum aged in bourbon barrels, and then right. a Barbados rum aged in cognac barrels. Is that correct? Correct. That's right. Yeah. So the rums from Mauritius, uh, Mauritius as an island, uh, was never it was never colonized because there was no one living there. When the Dutch landed there in the um, 1600s, there was just dodos. And they ate them all, which is why the dozers are extinct. <laughs> so the Dutch, yeah, they cooked them up, a little bit of hot sauce, right, a bit of oil, um, ate all the dodos. <clears throat> and then, obviously, it was a great strategic uh, island to get into the rest of Asia, coming from Africa to, to other parts of Asia. Um, so the French took a piece of that. Then the, then the English took a piece of that. And next thing you know, they're warring, they're fighting. They're, they're, they're bringing in slave or indigenous slave um, um, workers from the African continent and from Asia as well. Um, so, and then of course planting sugarcane. So it became an important, an important strategic post for the French and for the English. So culture-wise, they have a French culture and they have an English culture, and that reflects on the style of rum that they make. So they make rums from molasses, uh, which the ex-English colonies, Jamaica, Barbados, so on, would make. But they also make rums from fresh sugarcane juice as well, which oh. is similar to what you'll get in Martinique and Guadeloupe. So uh, of the six distilleries, in fact, seven now, but of the distilleries there, half will do fresh sugarcane juice rums and half will do molasses rums. So um, it's an interesting island, beautiful island. Every Pretty much every blade of grass uh, on the island is sugarcane. It is called a green island, but it is beautiful. It's exotic, um, great food, great people, uh, and, and one of my favorite places for rum. And I just said, if I'm going to do a brand, if I'm ever going to do a brand, I have to have rums or use rums from Mauritius. So when I had the opportunity to do this, I'm like, well, let's see if Richard will think the same way, Richard the, uh, from Foursquare. And he was like, yeah, they're not bad. They're not bad. That's good enough for me. <laughs> Sent it to him. He blended it up with his rums. Hey, presto, we have Equiano. What sort of, what sort of Mauritius usually? Because again, like I, I said, I, I haven't tasted a lot of uh, Mauritius rums. What sort of style would you sort of lean it towards if, if for the layman person listening to the podcast right now goes, okay, well, I've never tasted any of those. What's, what sort of flavor profiles are we looking for? Wow. It's, it's, a, it's a tough, it's a tough question. The reason why I say it's a tough question because of two, two main facts. One is um, you have some distilleries using molasses and some distilleries using fresh sugarcane juice. So automatically, you're going to have two different raw materials for your rum. You also have some distilleries using pot stills and some distilleries using column stills, traditional column stills. So it's not the multi-column stills, but it's traditional either twin column or Creole stills. So again, you're going to have two different styles of rums there. And you have at least two distilleries that have both stills, both pot and column, just like you see like in Barbados or in St. Lucia. Um, or in Jamaica. So they're doing what I like to call single blended rums, where it's a blend of pot still and traditional column stills from one distillery. So it's very hard to pinpoint what style of rum comes from Mauritius. It's similar to 
trying to try to describe the style of whiskey that comes from Scotland. Mm. Because Isla is going to be different from Campbelltown. Campbelltown is different from Speyside, different from Lowlands, different from Highlands. So with Mauritius, it's it's very hard to pinpoint. But what we can say with Mauritian rums, they are very similar to the um, the English uh, or the ex English colony uh, rums that you find in the Caribbean, but also. They have a little bit of uh, the French influence, but they will use pot stills where in Martinique and Guadeloupe, they very rarely would use pot stills to make their agricole rums. Um, so it, it creates its own unique type of style. Um, again, one of the other things, one of the reasons why we use uh, ex-cognac casts for the Equiano is because they have a lot of, because of the French influence, they have a lot of cognac barrels that are sent to Mauritius and they love aging their rums in cognac casts. So you can get some rums that are really nice, dry, finish a subtle vanilla notes um really big orchard fruits that you get naturally from those limousine oak french casks where the american oak cask gives lots of big vanilla uh and cocoa and uh, sweet notes you get from the vanilla car uh, from those um ex-bourbon casks so yeah a lot more drier uh Mauritian rums um they don't add sugar to their rums uh, unless they're making local uh spiced or flavored rums where they add a little bit of sugar and fruit but their rums out there will only have, will, will be unsweetened uh, as well. So you launched the brand to the state of rum, and we briefly touched on this before, like the the name, the the brand, everything. And you're very vocal. I I've always loved your your massive your massive essays you put up on Facebook when some other marketing company decides to put out a new rum because that really what it is. It's not usually. Yeah actual people who are rum lovers or founders, it's usually nine times out of 10, a marketing company that's like, yeah. rum, yeah. rum, uptick this year. Let's release a rum <laughs> brand. You know? And I think it's happening a little bit with tequila as well. It's just like wow. this, this sort of marketing companies like, hmm, maybe we're onto something. Maybe they're onto something here. Let's really, let's buy some rum from, from an ex distillery, bring mm-hmm. it to the UK or bring it to the US, blend it up chuck it in a bottle and then name it. What was the last one I think you wrote about was Privateer. And oh, the, oh, no. Privateer is one of the best rums. Uh, Privateer is great. Privateer is uh, created by a lady named Maggie Campbell um, down in New England, the old New England, uh, actually in Boston. Um, but she grates some great, some, uh, some amazing stuff. Actually, she's making for me probably the best rum on the in the North American continent at the moment. But, uh, I think the, I think the one you might be thinking of is um oh I'm trying to think of which ones because there's so many so many crazy marketing yes. things out there yeah. and um, that, that was the thing I have tasted probably fantastic like New England rum which is a whole different category unto itself like uh, Nova Scotia and Newfoundland rum on the east coast oh, wow. of- is that screech is that the screech yes but I have some in my collection that okay. is is kind of crazy because of that area they would bring they bring uh molasses up to nova scotia newfoundland and they've been making rum wow. so they massive rum culture up there and i have some crazy oh, really? crazy crazy styles um from the east coast of canada um but i'd love to try some of that <laughs> if, if, if we ever can travel again and like we can meet up i'll bring you some little tasting bottles um Perfect. but with, with with this sort of marketing companies they, they lean into this colonialism and they're not really researching the direction that rum is taking um yes, yeah. You know, and I think tequila and mezcal have had a, f- a few instances of that over the last couple of years as well, is where there's this sort of, I'm going to say whitewashing of rum culture and rum history 
yeah. to sort of leverage whatever the whatever the hell they're trying to leverage. Where do you think the state of rum is right now? Uh, is there rum taking a bit of a, a bit of an awakening when it comes to like um, controls and GIs? I've read a lot about GIs and EOCs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. The direction that rum's taking right now is it is it for the better or is it still sort of murky in the way that? a lot of people don't fully understand how every country makes their rum. Like you were saying about Mauritius, like you've got yeah. sugar juice, you've got molasses, you've got different stills, you've got different aging processes, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And I think every country in the Caribbean has that as well. Like there's no definition for every individual country's rum because you can go and find a little distillery that makes something completely different to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think the direction is for the, the education? Like I know you're a big proponent of education for mm-hmm. the general consumer and getting away from this, um, sort of mentality of like rum has always been this sort of secondary. Wild, wild west. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the wild west. That's a perfect example. What do you think the direction is for that? Well, I mean, the, the rums are definitely going in the right direction in regards to people understanding the differences between the various different styles, or more importantly, um, the origins of where rums are being made. Uh, you highlighted something that was very, very important: the fact that a lot of people. Uh, don't understand exactly what they have inside their bottle before they actually purchase it. And the reason why is because they see rum as all the same, all rums are the same. But that would be like saying that all whiskeys are the same. But the fact that certain whiskey territories and areas have spent a lot of money or have invested a lot of money or are respected and given the credibility um, that they truly deserve, they rightly deserve, it means a consumer can see the word Scotch whiskey on a label and understand that it's from Scotland. They also understand that it's going to have certain rules and regulations if they know what the rules and regulations are. Because there's a lot of people that drink Scotch whiskey that don't know the rules and regulations of what a Scotch whiskey is. Same as if they see straight bourbon or straight Kentucky bourbon uh, in Americas. They may not know what a straight Kentucky bourbon is. They know, may not know what the definition of a mash bill is for a bourbon. But what they do know is that it's going to be quality. And if it has Kentucky on there, it's from Kentucky. If it just has bourbon in there, it has to be from America. Now, rum, that's where rum has to go get to. But here's the thing. Rum at the moment, certain rums at the moment actually have that at the point of source. So Jamaica has rules and regulations. So you can't have a small little distillery in Jamaica making a product and not adhering to the rules and regulations of what a Jamaica rum is. And they won't be able to use, and if they did, if they didn't, they won't be able to use the word Jamaica rum on their label. Yeah. But when that product is sold into Europe or sold into America, America doesn't respect the rules and regulations, neither does Europe, of what Jamaica, uh, the rules and regulations of what Jamaica rum is. And the reason why is because there is no financial reason, there's no financial benefit for them to respect a Jamaican geographical indication, a GI. There is for bourbon, because there's a lot of Scotch whiskey sold in Europe, uh, from Europe, into America. Yeah? So that's why the definition of Scotch whiskey in America is whatever the Scottish say. (laughs) And the definition of of bourbon in Europe is whatever the Americans say. Yeah, because there's trade agreements, trade agreements between Scotland, America, Europe and America to respect each other's GIs. Unfortunately, a lot of a lot of these smaller independent islands, islands from the tropical uh, from these tropical backgrounds, islands that were colonized by uh, a lot of the Western countries. They don't have that respect 
or they don't have that. They don't they definitely don't have the respect. They don't have that trade in where they can say we're a little island like Jamaica, who has a geographical indication, a definition of what Jamaica rum is. They can't go to Europe and say this is the definition of Jamaican rum. No one can sell a product in Europe with Jamaica rum on the label unless they deal to our rules. And if you do that, we'll respect Scotch whiskey. We'll respect Irish whiskey. There's no trade agreements. There's no agreements there. So there's no incentive for Europe to want to enforce Jamaican rum rules, which is why you have product in Europe from all over, either bought from Jamaica, taken to another country, loads of sugar added to it, which is illegal in Jamaican rum. And then you're using, still using the word Jamaican rum on your label, or even worse, where it's not even rum. It's a, a, a cane spirit, sorry, a, a sugar beet. <laughs> caramel inside there and they use the word jamaica because jamaica is a brand and stick a pirate on a label and you go to eastern europe and you're seeing jamaica this jamaica that on a product it's not even rum but no one's suing them no one's going after them no one's protecting that because there is no financial interest for that so until the eu until europe starts to protect jamaica rum or jamaica as a as a small little tiny island of three million people has something to barter with then unfortunately, rum is not going to be respected except for within the 1% of geeks and rum knowledgeable people and people that really understand what rums are. Uh, it's only going to be respected in that, in that, in that field. The 90% of rum drinkers around the world don't care. They're just, as long as it tastes good, they're, they're going to buy it. I thought everybody would be scared of Mama Spence to come and like smack their asses for not for putting Jamaican rum on uh, <laughs> <laughs> bottles that aren't. Uh, you to, there's a place called Macros, which is like one of these big, massive supermarket uh, um, stores in, 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 in Europe. And if you go to one particular place, I, I went in, in Czech Republic, the Macros there. I saw at least five different brands that had Jamaica on the label bottled in Czech Republic. Oh, wow. <laughs> Was wow. They, and what, they weren't rum. They were made from cane. They were, okay, sorry, they were made from neutral spirit, made from sugar beet caramel flavors spices and they're sold as jamaica rum because jamaica's a brand that couldn't happen with scotch whiskey uh, at all yeah because scotch whiskey association is powerful enough to look after and support the 160 of distilleries and the various different brands that comes out of scotland so until rum has that it's going to be very hard uh for it to be recognized in that light in the masses so people like myself and uh, uh people like yourself and and the, the rum geeks that are working their way down are trying to educate people on the different areas that make rum and their relations. And my dream is for people to prejudice rum by, by where the rum is made. That's mm-hmm. my dream. I want someone to go into a store and look at a bottle of, say, Jamaica rum, and they'll say, oh, that rum's a bit too funky for me. It's going to have a lot of uh, rich hogar, and it's going to have dunder, it's going to have this. Because... In their mind, they're thinking heavy, heavy Jamaican flavors. Uh, it's from Jamaica. It has that terroir, the local. They're prejudiced. I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Because then they, at least they're now categorizing what a Jamaica rum is, the same way they categorize what a scotch is, same way they categorize what a bourbon is, a rye. Um, that's what I, that's my dream for, for rum, categorizing rums by where they're made. Jamaica, Barbados, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Venezuela. And obviously... <laughs> You've had huge success with Equiano, and um, congratulations on that. Like oh, to launch to new, launch a new brand in the in the era that we're in. Um, what is the ultimate goal? I noticed that uh, two dollars from every bottle uh, goes to um, charities and endeavors. Um, yes. So 
fantastic CSR, the corporate social responsibility on your part. What's your ultimate dream and goal for Equiano in the future? Obviously, you've sold, what did you say, three times more than what you planned on selling? Which- yeah, three times more than what we planned in January before we knew what the pandemic was. <laughs> like, um, how do you do that? Because it is, it is a, it is a blend that is pretty specific it's not like you're saying i've got six different distilleries from around the caribbean mauritius stuff like that where you know i can i can blend that to like this one i got a bit more of this one I got, you're really just working with two different distilleries two different styles how are you plan on mitigating shortages if if it blows up more so than it already has yeah well first of all if we were just going to stick with those two distilleries we have access to about seventy thousand barrels of rum Wow. Uh, about 45 in Foursquare in Barbados, another 25 in in, um, in Mauritius at the Gray Distillery. And then if, if it did start to grow in the way we expect, um, you forecast, so you start laying down rums now. But here's the great thing about being blenders and the fact that uh, our rum is an African-Caribbean rum. We have a whole continent we can play with. We can get rums, not just from Mauritius. We might pick rums and looking to get rums maybe from South Africa, maybe from the, the East Coast, uh, maybe near towards Kenya or Rwanda. There's a lot of sugarcane growing there. Or maybe the West Coast, maybe Nigeria, where Laudo Ricciano was, uh, where, where he was born. And then the Caribbean, because Richard Steele's part of the brand. Barbados is the home of rum. It has to be connected to Barbados um, there. But even if we decided to maybe add... <clears throat> a little component from another neighboring uh, Caribbean island. As long as we still retain our DNA, we will be seen as quality blenders of rums. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, why can't, why is there not a Johnny Walker of rum? This why is can't very, Equiano be the Johnny Walker of rum? It's very, like, very Walker, Yeah, amazing spirit. It's, they get, they've, they've got access to some of the best whiskies, best single malt whiskies from various different distilleries in Scotland. And they blend. Jim Beveridge, master blender there, blends his whiskies uh, from different places. Why can't Equiano do that? Do you think that's that's the direction of uh, putting out different expressions? Or is it's really sort of thinking about, okay, this is what I want to be long-term. This is the direction we're taking. Um, is there more expressions coming down the line? or well, There's a new one launching in like, ooh, about two and a half, maybe three months. <laughs> we have a lighter one for our bartender friends um, using a little bit of molasses and uh, fresh cane juice rums, uh, again, from Barbados and Mauritius. So we have a lightly aged uh, rum. Uh, but then after that, we've got rums that will have age statements. We can have some vintages. Uh, we've got a, a really nice vintage that we're coming out. Can't say too much about it, but there'll be a date of when both rums that are blended were distilled, but in two different continents, distilled at the same time, and then uh, they'll be blended together for you to sample and taste. So, yeah, there'll be some great, really fun, exciting blends, which is, again, where premium and uh, uh, top-end rums are going, where you're creating rum experiences, uh, not only just in mind, say through marketing, but also on the palate where you're tasting some flavors that you may not have tasted and tried before when it comes to rum. So yeah, we've got some great, great rums coming up in the near future uh, under the Equiano brand. And uh, these are stuff that I wanted to do from years ago. The time was never right, but the time is time was right now. We've all got plenty of right now. So <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I want to thank you so much, man. This has been awesome. Uh, I'm oh, hoping thanks, that, uh, we can get a bottle up into Canada fairly shortly and, and sort of hopefully start getting seen it on shelves here. Well, 
Well, you got an exclusive because you're the first to find out. You're the first to find out. We've uh, just been um, uh, agreed in three three uh, regions in Canada. Seriously? Yep. That's fantastic. Who's bringing you up here? Well, one is some place called, I've never even heard of it, called Mato- Manuba? Manoba? Manitoba. Uh, okay. Manitoba. Leave the Canadian pronunciation with me. <laughs> Manitoba. They were the first. They were the first to say, yeah, we want it. We're going to put an order in. It's gone. It went through all the tastings. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, of course, the, the biggest one, of course, is uh, the LCBO. Ontario yeah. LCBO. Um, so yeah, we yeah we've gone through gone through them and now just waiting for that order now to come through. So um, so yeah, so uh, you'll be able to get a bottle inside your hands very soon. I can I'll get one sent to you so you can try it and give me your honest opinion. I appreciate that very much. Well, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was great catching up. I've been, uh, I've, I've been, I've got a list of people in my head that I always want to catch up live, like to get like face to face when I travel. Yeah, yeah. And that list yeah. slowly but surely is beginning smaller and smaller and smaller because you just <laughs> never know when you're traveling again. Like Angus Winchester, Simon Ford, yourself, yeah. Yeah. people yeah. that I would like to interview face to face, and bit yeah. by. I bet that list is getting whittled down because we're not traveling anytime soon and meeting yeah. face anytime soon. So thanks as always for your support, man. Uh, yeah, congratulations on success. That's, uh, you've just grinding it out pretty hard this year. So I really appreciate it. And I'll chat to you yeah. really soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Let's do a rum in Canada very soon. Yes, definitely. We can do that. Okay. Come thanks, on. buddy. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, Pose Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.